Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Azure podcast with your hosts, Sam Foote and Anne Armstrong. If you're new here, we're a pair of Azure and Microsoft 365 focused IT security professionals. It's episode five of season five. Alan and I had a discussion around the updates to Azure in January. Here are a few things that we covered. Security product updates covering Defender XDR, Defender for Cloud Apps, and Defender for Identity. And many new updates to Azure, from new public and private previews, as well as general availability launches. We've noticed that a large number of you aren't subscribed. If you do enjoy our podcast, please do consider subscribing. It would mean a lot to us for you to show support to the show. It's a really great episode, so let's jump in. Hey, Alan, how are you doing this week? Hey, Sam, not doing too bad. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. I, I've I've got to make an apology uh, for our last week's episode because I um I think unintentionally, I believe it was unintentionally, um, completely cut Alan's audio out of the the podcast episode. So yeah, <laughs> apologies for that, Alan. <laughs> That's okay. I had a couple of people uh, message me, so uh... yeah, exactly. Yeah, thank you so, anybody yeah. that did um, get in contact <laughs> with us. <laughs> I um I I. <laughs> I, I promise it was an accident. I uploaded the wrong file because <laughs> um, we have we have two separate files, one with my audio in it, one with Alan's audio in it, and a combined one. And um, yeah, and I, I uploaded <laughs> uh, my one. So um, yeah, it was. I, I must admit, uh, last week's episode was recorded quite late um, because well, it was edited quite late because we had an issue with our our recording provider. I had to get them to re-export. Um, I think it was my audio or your audio, I can't remember. One of ours didn't process properly. So I ended up um, actually editing the episode quite late uh, at, at night. And um, and yeah, I, I must have just hit um, <laughs> the wrong upload, basically. So yeah, apologies. That shouldn't happen again. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, it was, I mean, considering, you know, what we're on, like 70, 80 episodes now, you know, one small hiccup on an episode's not too bad is it yeah no to be really? fair actually i was i was i was thinking my first thought was to like what process can we change what how can we change it and then i sort of thought yeah it's the first time i've clicked the wrong thing basically <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah we've done eight, 81 episodes and we haven't generally had a problem so no it's it's usually that... been around recording hasn't it right yeah you i was know... gonna say not that the the uh, the listeners would know about issues sort of thing <laughs> yeah exactly yeah because most of them happen way before we get to editing <laughs> the episode that, that's for sure so no uh, touchwood we're quite consistent now so yeah fingers crossed <laughs> that that continues on um sh- should we just jump into topics alan because i think we've got um it, it seems like microsoft have been quite uh, busy uh, in January, <laughs> considering we also did a, a, a news sort of update up to, I think, about the 8th or so, uh, 7th or 8th of January. Uh, so in theory, we've only got three weeks worth of updates, but it feels like they've awoken from their, their holidays and, and then we've got a lot to talk about. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if we if I sort of start on sort of the ones I've got around the security products, um these are really sort of general general availability announcements around Defender XDR. So you've got the new, I say new, it's probably been there for quite some time now, but the unified role, role-based access control across you know, the whole of the you know, the XDR sort of solution. So Defender for Identity, Defender for Endpoint, um, and, and the others, uh, in effect, bringing them, uh, bringing the R back out of the, the, you know, the individual products and then bring it into the whole sort of suite. So you can create roles across you know, that's that span across multiple products there. So that's very good. Um and then the other one which 
got announced, I think, at Ignite, and it's already sort of GA now, is um, getting Defender Cloud Alerts into Defender XDR. So just sort of hooking it up, at doing a bit of a connection or permissions more than anything. Um, and then you can see them in one place. So it's just bringing, again, bringing everything into Defender XDR. So it's a nice, easy ones there. Um, for Defender for App, Defender for Apps, Defender for Cloud Apps, MDA, um, the uh, just, uh, the SaaS security posture management has had um, some upgrades in that now um, it has more applications. So it was only uh, Google and uh, Salesforce, I think it was, and maybe a few others. It's now um, things like, uh, in preview at least, it's Dropbox, Works, Workplace, Zendesk, um, and things like that. So there's a couple more in there. So that's really good. So now you can see your, your posture of those SaaS applications. Um, and that's really just been growing on itself. Um, and any recommendations that are in there um, feed into your um, into your secure score. So, you know, if you do enable them, just be prepared for a, a, maybe a small drop in that score. <laughs> Um, communicating you know, your secure score drop <laughs> to yeah. your less technical stakeholders <laughs> yeah yes yeah why is it dropped by 10 percent? oh it's because we've added more functionality or more points to get <laughs> well we we see the true the true visibility <laughs> right <laughs> not just covered up <laughs> yeah um okay so probably the next one for me is um defender for identity um so not necessarily an upgrade to the product itself, but Microsoft um, and probably the wider community has brought out a um, some PowerShell to help configure the environment. So this is not just to sort of, yeah, because there's some extra bits whilst Defender for Identity just in effect needs an agent that to then pull the data um, into the service. Um, there's various other configuration to allow, you know, to get more, you know, get to get the right data to the, to the agent um, and a few other configurations. So this is to kind of help that part of it to do some testing, make sure you know you can connect to the service, make sure your firewall rules are in place um, and things like that. So it's all well documented. Um, and um, I think it will be very useful for very, not necessarily simple, um, but there's some very com complex one, you know, complex um, active directories out there. Um, you still might need a bit more sort of guidance. Um, it may be able to help with some parts, but I suspect there's a lot of, um, I think there's going to be things with like cross forests and cross domains, trusts and things like that's going to be the, the sticking point for some of that. Um, and then finally from me, as I whiz through these, um, is Defender for Cloud. And in effect, one of the ones that one thing they've brought in, um, it kind of ties into Defender for Endpoint actually, um, is that they've brought agentless malware detection on Azure Virtual Machines, AWS EC2s, and GCP VM instances. Um, that's part of the Defender for Server Plan 2. So, this is kind of um, to uh, complement Defender for Endpoint agent being installed, um, but I guess one part of one, not necessarily issue, but one concern to a lot of um, organizations is being able to 
um, sets, you know, scans of the the OS, um, yes, you know, file scans, you know, things like that, um, and it causing you know uh, a load on the compute, uh, not being able to then, you know, maybe have disruptions in your services. Um, so this is in effect taking that sort of pain away. Um, in effect, I expect it's like the vulnerability scanning, um, the agentless version. Um, this might be where it takes a snapshot of the disk and then in effect scans it offline uh, to see you know to see what, if there is any malware on there. Um, any alerts that get created um, go into Defender Cloud, but also into the Defender XDR pool. So it's as, as if it was Defender for Endpoint. Um, it will be still that you know the engine of Defender for Endpoint just you know being scanned offline. So I think that's a that's a great win for those workloads or those services that are. Um, compute um sensitive um that you can do it all offline you have to worry about you know a service going or being disrupted at least yeah and i think it shifts um it shifts the ability for like infosec to apply certain controls with less involvement of like infrastructure you know and um owners of resources right because if it's if it's completely outside of the you know of the resource and there is literally no impact to that resource then you know and it's agentless so there's there's not that configuration step that you've got to go through because because that's some of the blockers that we sometimes bump into right is every you know organizations have the best intent and will to to roll out different i'll call it out like defender for endpoint on linux servers as an example right um, or servers that are very like performance sensitive, you know, um, you know, they're just two examples of many other examples of where a, you know, an infosec control can be delayed by legitimate infrastructure and application related concerns about any type of X technology, right? So if you can if you can approach it in an agentless manner, um, you've you've got a lot more power um, to to sort of make those changes and make them a bit more efficiently. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, it's not just Azure, it's AWS and GCP as well, which is great news, especially for, you know, straight away kind of scenario. We we know that Azure is, is, Azure tends to be first because it's first party, but this seems like it's, um, it's straight out the door to the other clouds as well, which is great. Will will this all be at Arc then? Based? For, for those other, yeah, for yeah, the I mean, other I, clouds, yeah, for the other clouds, I don't think this covers on-prem agent scanning because okay. that will be a bit of a. Don't know, I don't know how that would work. <laughs> it's an interesting no, one, know, but yeah. um, but yeah, so I guess if they were hypervisors, maybe there could be a plugin for that sort of thing to make a snapshot. But yeah. obviously, for physical, that'd be a bit of an interesting how that works One. yeah yeah exactly um yeah so it's kind of a whistle stop tour of kind of the security stuff i've seen um the only other thing really to mention that was maybe last week or the week before i can't remember but was the um the microsoft uh, 365 copilot being um the licensing restrictions being removed from the 250 minimum um, we've seen a lot of customers already just in effect just taking that on as soon as um, as soon as it got you know got released um, that way. So um, so yeah, that's probably it from me. 
What about you, Sam? Yeah, because, well, 365 Copilot was like a massive investment, wasn't it, up front, mm. basically? You know, because didn't it basically work out to about $100,000? I can't remember if it's 100000 or $300,000 or something like that, because it was, was it 300 seat minimum? 250 pound? Something like that? 250? 250. It was 250 because that was, in effect, the, you know, where it goes into, you know, enterprise customer e, you know, e series um, licensing. And it was thirty dollars, wasn't it? Well, it's seventy-five thousand dollars or something. Let me just work it out. Uh, if I can actually calculate. No pressure, <laughs> Alan. <laughs> oh, calculate. Uh, Seven thousand five hundred a month dollars. That is minimum. So what eighty eighty thousand dollars a year, yeah. something like that. Eighty-five thousand dollars a year. Ninety. 90,000. Okay, there you go. So that that's quite a that's quite an investment to make in productivity, right? For any organization. I think I think we really struggled to validate it because of that because because the use cases for that productivity are so unique to each organization. It's quite hard to get them on board. I didn't know I don't know of any incentives Microsoft had for people to try that. As far as I'm aware, there wasn't a trial or you couldn't, you, you had to sort of jump into it. I don't know if you could have, you know, um, there were any deals directly with Microsoft that weren't documented that that, that ever happened. Obviously, I, I'm not really aware of anything. So so now you can just buy, I think you've got to buy a year up front though, don't you, for each user? You can't license it. Yeah, I think it's got to be a year commit. but um... A year commit, but minimum of one. So you could just buy it for a handful of people. And that's what we've seen, haven't we? Of, of people just, um, you know, uh, getting people. Yeah. We should probably, we should probably talk about um, defender for uh, cloud apps actually quickly, you know, and, and organizations identifying, you know, uh, other GPTs and LLMs being used in their organization that gives them the visibility. Uh, but now they've also got a way to um, switch out, those other third-party systems to something that's a bit more uh, closer to home. Yeah, exactly. And I think I mentioned it in previous sort of um, episodes that they brought it in, but the cloud discovery, if, you've, if you're using that, um, they've got the new generative AI um, categories or category. Yeah. Um, there's quite a few on that list. I can't remember the, the exact number. There was something like four. I feel like it's like 400 they've got in the list, something like that. There's it's, a significant in... number of them, yeah. In the but, hundreds, um, yeah. But yeah, you can just start seeing if organ if your users are starting to, you know, consume that, which everyone, you know, we believe they are. Um and that might be okay for the organization, but it's just working out how much data as well is going there. So you can understand if someone is doing it yeah, exactly. a lot. Yeah. And there's yeah, potential sensitive data. So it's one way to view it and then maybe it's hey, stop using that and here's a license and yeah, because we, well, we we don't want to block that AI productivity gain, right? If people no. actually use it and they use it in their day to day, let's make sure we embrace that productivity change. Let's just make sure it's done in the the, the controlled way that we want to, you know. So, um, and yeah, and and the fact that it also works on your own organization's data is hopefully going to even give you even more, um, you know, ability. And the integration is just generally better so yeah and and probably you know with that drop in licensing has been really good as well because you know your roi is better because you 
at least you can work out the um, how you control the access to the data and things like that. Because you only need a couple of licenses to try it out. Where beforehand, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. You'd have yeah. two hundred and fifty, and you probably only give it to three or four. Or was, exactly. you know, IT work out how to lock it, it down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we're going to pilot internally for five people for three months, you know, to see how it goes, which is probably fair, like a, a fair thing to do. Or what you know, insert your own time frames and numbers, you know, f- for whatever. Mm. Um, but as far as I understand, and I could be wrong, is that you had to commit to, <laughs> as you say, two hundred and fifty people to run your pilot for three months so you just got 200 or you just give it to everybody and you know chops away yeah. thanks guys <laughs> you know so um yeah no it's it's really yeah it's, it's really good to see uh from microsoft uh doing that cool yeah so what's yours then sam what news have you got from azure okay so on the azure side um we have a new public preview um of a uh, of, of a new product called Azure API Center. Now, Azure API Center is used um, to inventory and manage your organization's APIs. Now, I know the question you're going to ask in a second, Alan, and I will get onto that. But so uh, basically, it allows you to, it doesn't, it's sort of uh, platform agnostic, so it can be used with any APIs. And imagine this is just a centralized pace to store the schema and information about each of your um, APIs. Now, you know, this 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 is a challenge with organizations that builds, you know, uh, microservices have, you know, lots of um, APIs internally. They might provide them for their customers. Um, just understanding what what capability you've got in your organization and and managing that documentation wise. It is a challenge. Um, so this is what it's really, um, uh, you know, uh, aimed at. Now, the question is, is how is that any different to Azure API management? Because Azure API management has its own ability to, I suppose, document and inventory your APIs. Um, but, but what API management does is it, it puts a layer in front of um, in front of your APIs to effect- effectively proxy those APIs. You build backends which interface with your APIs. So API Center doesn't have any of that. It just has the documentation part um, of it. So um, it's th- there is sort of a complementary overlap, so to speak, but it really is a completely sort of segregated and standalone product. You don't have to use API management um, to-, to use it. So, um, yeah, this this kind of sounds like an upgrade to the is it the developer portal in the API manager? Yes, Ex- yeah, exactly. The, yeah, so yeah, that, that all makes sense. Yeah. I, I haven't I haven't fired it up yet. Mm. Um, I, I think we should definitely do an episode on it. Um, but what what they're describing is is that it's basic metadata and information about your APIs. So, like, I assume just schemas, um, X, Y, Z. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see, um. That's in preview at the moment. I don't know pricing. It'd be interesting to see um, what what happens there. No, that's cool. Um, yeah, there's also a, uh, the feedback is being taken on a Git repo as well, which I thought was pretty interesting. So for, for that, so it's quite a few people um, testing that. Um, Azure Container Apps um, allows you to now um, expose 
uh, accept TCP connections on multiple ports. Um, so I believe before it was just like HTTP, HTTPS, um, TCP, but apparently that's been expanded to more um, uh, ports. Um, so I, I assume that's for other load balancer type scenario um, settings. And I believe it's there, there's a... Uh, there's there's a big part about vnet integration as well so i'm guessing it might be a microservice um uh change as well so uh i don't know how big the engineering for that is but that feels like quite a small uh change but yeah i don't want to call that out too much um next one for me which i think is pretty awesome this one is um there's an azure sql trigger for azure functions now so um like you've been able to do in you know uh things like uh storage accounts table storage x y or z um you've been able to trigger on new rows of data being added um there is now a trigger um in for azure sql um so um it uses um sql uh, tracking functionality change tracking functionality and um, whenever a row is created, updated, or deleted, um, you can have a, a function trigger, uh, basically. So, yeah, that looks pretty, uh, pretty cool. Currently in preview, which uh, is good to see. Um, going back to APIs, um, Azure API management now has what's called a circuit breaker. Um, a circuit breaker is a property that you add onto your backend resource. Um, it's essentially to protect it from being overwhelmed by too many requests. Um, so, um, so if you imagine you can define a condition, which is um, a certain amount of requests hit your API over a certain time period. Um, and what that could then do is it can trip that circuit breaker and then um, effectively for a certain amount of time, um, it can return like a 503 service unavailable. So you've effectively got a um, anti, it's not DDoS, but an anti like, sort of flood uh, breaker inside that. And as I sort of mentioned before, API management is giving you sort of a, a reverse proxy front end to your APIs. So you can sort of protect, you know, because your APIs that are sort of behind API management might be legacy APIs. They could be on-prem API. They could, they could be anything, basically. So this gives you the ability to add some of that protection where you may have less, you know, because, um, you know, if your API management is in front of like a, an Azure function or an Azure app service, a lot of that, nowadays is very flexible in how much it can spin up you know um, scale and sort of retract um but if you're you know if you're fronting um like a an iaz box or maybe an on-prem resource with api management you could potentially get overwhelmed because you might not have that scalability um so yeah so um yeah, it's um, th there are already um, rate limit and concurrency limits inside of um, um, uh, inside of API management. This just takes this to a basically to another level um, and gives you some ability to to decide what happens um, when when those are hit. That's um, that's good because I guess as well, even though some of those other services can spin up resource, you don't want to 
and you may not want to incur too much of a cost. It might be a way of yeah, saying my max yeah. is this kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And, and you, you could, you know, it, it could be the, it could be the start of some sort of denial of service attack. You know, um, if you're, you know, if let's say your average, you know, request are like a hundred per minute and you see 20,000 in a minute, it might be worth just saying, whoa, let's, let's hold on a minute and just, you know, um, and, and trigger that circuit breaker. Um, so uh, another update to Azure API management in um, January um, is a what's called a load balanced pool. So um, what you can do here um, is you can create a pool which contains multiple backends for an API. So a backend is just a literally a backend API that you're you're sort of fronting um, with with API management. Um, and now you can load balance requests across those backends. So it's effectively effectively like having a load balancer within um, side of um, API management. Um, and um, this is good for you know splitting load. Um, obviously, like a load balancer um, would, um, and that can also be used in conjunction with circuit breakers as well to make sure that you're not hitting a certain certain breaker. A circuit breaker on any one you can distribute between two to sort of not trigger those but also if you want to shift load from one back-end resource to be able to deploy a new change to it let's say you've got a high availability api you know maybe it's on two two servers as an example um and you want to roll out a new version to it um you could migrate all traffic onto one of those boxes do your um, upgrade you know, uh, migrate all of your um, all of your traffic over to that that box that you've just upgraded, and then do the same for the other box. Um, so it allows you to sort of um, a more sophisticated in a more sophisticated way do those upgrades. Um, so yeah, um, both uh, circuit breakers and load balance pools are both in preview um, as as we speak. So it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, the the back end pool thing is quite interesting because it has really only ever been kind of tied to one. You could do some clever sort of um, API policy to try and say if one if this area is you know getting errors, then go back to the next one. But you couldn't really ever load balance. Yeah, not 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 successfully or not very clean. I suppose yeah. the best way you did it. Yeah, the the only thing that kind of I don't know. I've got a bit of a, I don't know, concern about is I don't know what skew those things are going to be on, <laughs> right? <laughs> Just call it out there because well, if you're um, slumming it on the skews that we usually use, um, <laughs> I'm not sure you're going <laughs> to. So, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I don't want to call it out. I can't call it out yet. So, yeah. But well, this is this is an effect. Very enterprising. <laughs> well, yeah, and and also technically, if you could do this, you wouldn't necessarily need a local load balancer or a front yep. door or or tmg traffic manager or anything kind of ties it in so you do feel it's going to be higher who up knows? <laughs> yeah, <who knows? laughs> um yeah so um api management i i would say that they're, they're quite a good couple of upgrades to api management um some some extra flexibility um 
one for people that like to live on the edge um, is um, the ability to upgrade uh, Gen 1 virtual machines to Gen 2 to take advantage of uh, trusted launch. Um, so, so it really boils down to um, Gen 1 VMs use... Is it, is it fair to say BIOS firmware? Is that the right terminology? I think... They use yeah. BIOS bioses <laughs> right <laughs> i i really get confused with like is ufi a bios it kind of is i don't know so they use you know a, what we refer to as bios um as their firmware um how 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 the machine is launched and managed um gen 2 um uh, trusted launch requires uefi uh, virtual machines so it's going to be very interesting to see what that upgrade process looks like because personally for me i have never converted a machine that is a bios machine to uefi conversely for a long time i've only ever exclusively used uefi so i assume these workloads are relatively old or you know SKUs that require gen one you know i think so it'd be interesting i to think gen two has only been i say only been it's only been out for a year or maybe two years officially i think Right, There's still okay. quite a load of workloads that have been in that. So th this this seems like a big thing to me because um, if you require trusted launch, you know, if if you've got if you want that level of certainty without having to rebuild your environments, right? Because if we're talking about switching from you know BIOS to UEFI, to me that's a rebuild, isn't it? Right. That's that's not a you press a button and you just convert across. So that's why I sort of prefaced it with people that like to live on the edge, because this one sounds <laughs> scary, but awesome at the same time, if they can pull it off um, that it, it's it's interesting because they call it a private preview um, on the Azure update list. Um, and then it links to the form. Uh, whenever you sign up to a private preview, there's always a Microsoft form that you've got to fill out, sort of opt into it. And they're linking from the public Azure updates feed to a private preview. So to me, it's not really that private because it's publicly available. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. But but I, I assume that there's not. I assume they're going to. I don't know. Maybe there's some motivated people out there, but they're going to struggle with getting the numbers of people to. To, to opt into this type of testing, right? Because it's it sounds scary uh, to me. But I suppose it's it's non-production anyway. You'd have to do all your your dev environments. Yeah, I mean the the announcement of it being private preview is contains some information about it. Everyone kind of probably understands what it's doing, but how is probably still in the the yeah, yeah non-public. Exactly. So yeah, yeah so yeah. still I think they did that. They've done that with the um, unified. Defender XDR, where you can integrate Sentinel. In fact, they've almost pretty much documented it, but you can't get it yeah. unless you join the private preview. <laughs> so, but I think yeah, that's probably exactly. more of a a mechanism for releasing it rather than a um, you know actually releasing it out to to people to test sort of thing. I think it's more of that mechanism for that one. But yeah, that's um, cool. So yeah, so I thought that was um that was that seems like an interesting one to follow and see where that goes. Uh I'd be curious to test that. 
I don't currently have any BIOS VMs to test it with, but I could create some and join the private preview because it would be interesting to see how that's going to be handled. I think it's probably coming because I think they're de- they're stopping Gen ones, aren't they? I think that's why. Oh, are they right? That makes sense. Yeah. Um, the last one that I've got um is there is now an Azure Arc Visual Studio Code extension for managing deployments of applications um, to Arc-enable workloads. I believe the first supported version is... Let me just get the exact name. Connected Kubernetes Clusters. So I believe it's for application management and deployment to connected Kubernetes clusters. Um, I just wanted to make sure I included the word connected because I don't know the difference between a connected and, I assume, disconnected um, <laughs> Kubernetes cluster. So um, uh, I I don't have any Kubernetes clusters to test this with, so it won't be one that I'm uh, particularly looking at. Um, but it's it's interesting because I it's, I know it's not the same thing, but I do use the Azure Functions Visual Studio Code extension because it makes it incredibly easy to deploy Azure Function apps because you you literally just see your function app, you right click on it, and you go deploy, and it packages it up, it puts it into um, Azure for you, it can stage it, X Y and Z, it is very slick. It's uh, it's almost easier than actually running a um, a pipeline to deploy them, and which is wrong for me to say, really, but it is just so easy because you just right-click and go deploy, you know, and I think you can do that with uh, app service as well. Um, so it's interesting to see. Yeah, I wonder if they've got, I mean, because I don't know, I wonder if they've got a, for Azure Kubernetes, whether you can do it from Visual Studio Code and deploy your application to those clusters. And this is adding... It so you can do it on premise or into the AWS or exactly. GCP. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what they mean by connected Kubernetes uh, clusters. Um, it's it, it's interesting to me that it's a separate add-on extension. Sorry, um, why why wouldn't it just be included with the Azure uh, tools? It it, so. it might be because it's preview, so they're just doing it separately first fair, and then fair, fair throw right. it in. Yeah. yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so, so yeah, um, yeah, that's going to be interesting to see, um, what happens with that, with that, with that extension. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's it for me. Um, the only thing to call out with that extension, it seems like it's been there for a while. I, I don't know if it's been in like private, private, private preview. Um, and now it's public because the last update to it, the last commit, in the uh the last version was in um october so i wonder if it's just actually gone like public preview now um yeah yeah maybe so yeah um that's it from me cool yeah some of those were definitely interesting so i'm definitely interested in that gen one to gen two i'm never probably ever going to need to use it but i am i'd be very intrigued to see how that goes yeah exactly what the rollback strategy is i would really want to be on those private preview calls of like when they're talking about the people asking questions i just feel like alarm bells are gonna be you know uh 
Yeah, I'm pretty. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you got to change the um, the bootloader part of the exactly. Uh, the OS. Yeah. So, yeah. but then Microsoft technically managed that. So, in the usual VM, so maybe so, it's just yeah that I easy. Know. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? It's probably worth just calling out. These are only our highlights. There are many, many, many more. Yeah. Um, and apologies if your workload uh, wasn't covered. We just picked the things that we think we think are cool basically because there's just so much that you could potentially talk about um yeah. it's probably worth just calling out that we are going to do one of these news episodes every month um the, the the reason being is that it's it's nice to have a way to sort of absorb new updates and get a snapshot of them on a sort of regular cadence um and it's it's also a way for Alan and I to discuss these updates um, together, which is the whole reason for this podcast, basically. Um, so, so yeah, it's just it's a good way. So we're going to sort of dedicate one episode a month uh, just to do a snapshot of of the things that we feel are important. Yeah, we're, we're always talking about, aren't we, the things that have come out. We're like, oh, we better do an episode on that. And then it's, you know, by the time we scheduled it, it's like, you know, three or four weeks five weeks away isn't it or something so yeah yeah just worth getting a getting sight of it at least to get people looking into you know those new features because a lot of time you know people don't you know listeners people don't um you know know about any of it happening because it's just so no i i i I don't i I, and a lot of these things i obviously check the azure update um uh list quite regularly big because of the podcast to be totally honest with you you know i'm checking it i've got a reminder to get me to check it every week to see what's happened each week because before i talk about it uh even if i'm not going to test it i need to I, I i want to read through understand each one of the topics as much as i can so um but before that i didn't used to really look at it and you can you can just you can just be pigeonholed into whatever you're doing and there's been like three or four updates in a certain area. And then you, most of the time you're just missing out on functionality that you, you didn't even know existed or a new technology or a, you know, new solution to your problem. Right. So it is worth keeping on top of, but it can be pretty overwhelming because we're only really talking about Azure. Um, you know, there's, there's many other different things that, you know, Microsoft updates on a daily basis. Yeah. Teams things like that you know all the productivity stuff i mean it's another world yeah. <laughs> we don't really well yeah I, yeah <laughs> loads of stuff operating systems x y and z oh so much stuff uh, cool okay so what's our next episode then sam so uh next episode is going to be um azure ai studio uh it's currently in preview uh i i've been um playing with it so to speak um to to see what the sort of hype um is all about to see what i can create with it um so yeah so i'm going to take us through that and um yeah we're going to deep dive some of the functionality there to see if it's what the the answer that i'm trying to get to is is that what is the actual like applicable value you know to to actually using the studioing and um yeah and, and how it interfaces with other sort of um model ecosystems as well cool 
yeah, that sounds sounds good. Sounds like it sort of integrates some of the. Uh, I don't know if it can integrates some of the co-pilot stuff you can do, but I guess we'll we'll find out. We'll find out next week. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay, so did you enjoy this episode? If so, please do consider leaving us a review on Apple or Spotify. This really helps us uh, to reach out to more people like you. Uh, if you have any specific feedback or suggestions, uh, we'd like to hear them. Um, there's a link in our show notes to get in contact with us. Yeah, and if you've made it this far, thanks ever so much for listening, and we'll catch you all in the next one. Yeah, thanks all. <laughs>